But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. This week's episode of the REACH podcast is sponsored by the Lamstrom Foundation, which is a non-profit organization founded by Major League Soccer goalkeeper and Stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, Matt Lamson. The mission of the Lamstrom Foundation is to provide difference-making financial, emotional, and motivational support to cancer patients and families in all stages of cancer treatment and recovery, as well as to fund proven cancer researchers. So for more information and regular updates on the Lamstrom Foundation and what they're doing, go ahead and follow the Lamstrom Foundation on Facebook or visit lamstrom.com today. Hey, welcome to episode 27 of the Reach Podcast. Today I'm chatting to Mike Delisio, who is an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa in, Can in Canada. What's really cool about this talk is that Mike is a survivor, a cancer survivor. He went through a myxoid liposarcoma, which is basically a type of fat cancer, about four years ago. He was diagnosed when he was 30 um, in his first year as a professor, professor straight out of his PhD. Um, and so now he actually researches cancer. So he looks at how stem cells interact in relation to cancer and their cancer treatment. So today's chat was kind of a, a mix of the two. And what I really liked about Mike is that he actually reached out to me and wanted to share his story. He, he spoke about how he was initially pretty private with it. He didn't want any sympathy, didn't want any pity, just wanted to kind of get on with things. And as he's gone on uh, throughout his survivorship, he's realized the importance of sharing his story and giving an account of what he went through in the hopes that someone going through that now can take inspiration or motivation from that. So it actually ended up being a really cool insight into the psychological battle that, that people face, or at least Mike faced, going through treatment. In, in one, just kind of dealing with treatment, he was actually uh, still working throughout his treatment, and he would go over to the med center on his lunch break, get his radiation, and come back uh, to work. And also now, four years removed, he talks, he gives a really interesting insight into how some of his, his bigger decisions in life are made with his diagnosis in his background or with his, his, his cancer in the back of his mind and that uh, he, he thinks a lot about recurrence and how that may affect his family and, and his, uh, his child. So again, it was a really honest take on, on what, what, what he went through and what others may go through in terms of, of the mental aspect of a cancer diagnosis and its treatment. So again, I cannot thank Mike enough for, for his honesty, his candid account of what he went through. And he's doing really well now. So again, I wish him all the best. And and we also finish up with talking about some of his research, which is really cool and really novel in the area of, of cancer and particularly with uh, bone marrow transplant. So kind of pay attention to that towards the end of the show. But other than that, sit back and enjoy it. And again, thanks to Mike and, and we'll get right to it. All right, Mike. So listen, obviously, uh, a huge thanks to you for coming on, coming on the show. Uh, I know people. I mean, you've got a really unique experience in in your cancer diagnosis, what you went through, and also the fact that your your research are looking at this stuff. So before we dive into kind of the the deep stuff, uh, why don't you give us a bit of a background of of your your experience and what you're doing right now? Because I think that really ties into how unique your journey has been. Yeah, so uh, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa, and uh, my lab focuses on uh, exercise and uh, how stem cells interact with their environment, uh, specifically blood-forming stem cells and muscle-forming stem cells. And we do that in models of you know cancer, especially late effects of cancer therapy. And we also look at some, some obesity models uh, as well. And we use human and animal studies, just depends on the question and what we need to do. And so you you obviously have a, you have your PhD in exercise physiology and you have a strong background in that area. How so? Give us an idea then of your your cancer diagnosis. Kind of talk us through your story from from when you started to notice something, your diagnosis, and kind of just walk us through that. Yeah. So um, 
it's kind of it was kind of I guess unique I guess I was um it was my like actually it was my 30th birthday when I uh was at this hockey tournament with some of my friends and I felt this kind of like lump on my leg in the shower I didn't I didn't really think much of it I was like oh it's probably like muscles are sore you know something with the tournament or whatever so I kind of just like noticed it but pretty much just ignored it and went on and I never really paid much attention to it but then I was like talking to my friends and I was like you know what guys like I got this weird like lump on my leg that hasn't been going away for uh for a while now and and they were like man you should really get that checked and I was like ah it's probably nothing blah blah and they're like well no they're like you should really get it checked so I was like okay so um I was living in the States at the time. I was living in uh, Champaign, Illinois. And I went to get it. uh, I just went to, like, the clinic, you know, and said, this is what the situation is. And uh, the first doctor I saw, I can't remember his name, but he was like, you know, it's probably just uh, a lipoma. So it was this lump. It was, like, right up really high kind of in the fat in between my legs, Um, pretty pretty high up. And then uh, he's like, so it's probably just just a, a lipoma, which is just, like, a benign fat mass basically a growth um so he's like this is probably what it is you don't need to worry about it too much but you know just in case we'll get you know an ultrasound done to see what it is so uh you know they do the ultrasound and it's kind of inconclusive so i go back to see the doctor and he's like um ultrasound is inconclusive he's like we can do one of two things you can either do an mri and that will tell us a little bit better or we can just go in and take it out and um and then they'll do the tests and they'll know exactly what it is after that. He's like, but it's probably still nothing. It's probably just like a lipoma. Uh, so I'm like, okay. I was like, well, we might as well just take it out. Like it's annoying me, you know, like it's kind of getting <laughs> to the point where it's like, you know, I can feel it. Like it's bogging me. Like, let's just get rid of it. And then, you know, that's fine. So he sent me up, he sent me up with this, like, it was just a day surgery. Right. So they think it, it's basically like a lump just to give, like, it's basically, the, it was the size of the palm of my hand. Like you could feel it. I mean, that's not, it's not a small lump the size of the palm of your hand. Yeah, no, it wasn't small at all. But, you know, I read online and stuff, and they're like, oh, these lipomas can get really big. There's like, there's a chance that it could be, uh, you know, there's a chance it could be cancer, but the chances of, of it are basically like one in a million. So I'm like, okay, well, it's probably not it. Like, and so I wasn't too worried about it. So uh, I go in to get like the, um, it's it's not even really a surgery it's just they make a small they did a small incision and they just kind of like squeeze the mass out um it's, it's like kind of like popping a pimple basically like they just right. squeeze it out right and it was it was nothing it was like i was there for an hour basically i went in the afternoon i went right back to work like right after it was just like a small stitch and, and no big deal and so the, the doctor takes it out and he um He's like, oh, you know, I've seen hundreds of these before. This is this is probably, you know, I, I agree with the other doctor. It's probably just a lipoma. It's probably nothing. But I remember, like, seeing it. Like, they took it out. I was, like, awake the whole time. They just had a local anesthetic. I remember, like, looking at it, and I was like, oh, man, that thing is, like, nasty looking. Like, <laughs> it just, it looked angry. And yeah. that was the only, that was, like, the first time I was kind of, like, worried, you know. I'm like, this looks really mad. Like, I don't know. I was all just looked it didn't look good and i was like okay well this guy says it's nothing you've seen hundreds this is the first one i've seen so it's probably nothing so i go back to work and uh, the guy's like you know we send it to pathology because anytime we take something out of somebody that's what we do i'm like fine he's like you know you might hear from me in a few days if not then just don't worry about it so i'm like okay so i go back to work and then you know i just go home no big deal so a couple days later it's around uh after four like maybe you know four thirty, five o'clock i'm sitting i'm sitting in my office and i get a phone call from and it says the hospital like on my phone so i'm like okay this is probably not good but like maybe he's just calling to say like it's nothing or whatever right? <laughs> give you the thumbs up yeah 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 so sitting in my office there's there's like nobody around anymore because it's after you know 4 30 or whatever so i'm there in a I answered the phone and it wasn't the doctor. It was actually his nurse. And the nurse basically says like, yeah, you know, we did the pathology. The pathology came back and it's, um, it's, it's cancer. And I'm just like, it was weird. Cause I didn't really feel anything. Like I just didn't know what to feel. And then, so he cut, they come back and I'm like, well, what, you know, what kind of cancer and blah, blah, blah. What is it? And so they said, he, she said the name and it's like a mixoid liposarcoma. So it's a specific type of, of basically fat cancer super rare like this specific type is literally like one in a million to get right 
So the doctor tells me this and I'm just like, I have all these questions. Like what, what is this? Or not the doctor, sorry. The nurse tells me this. I have all these questions and I mean, she can't answer them because she's not an oncology nurse. Right. And she, even if she could, like the nurse doesn't really answer those questions. Most of the time, most like they usually refer you to the doctor. So all she said was basically told me what it was and said, you know, uh, I've referred you to the oncology clinic and we're going to, uh, you know, you'll hear from them in the next couple of days and they'll set up an appointment or whatever, basically with you. And, and that was it. Like, I was like, okay, like, you know, thanks for letting me know basically. Right. <laughs> um, and, and then hung up the phone and I was like, this is, you know, so that was it. And I just kind of like took a sack, like, you don't really know. I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, okay, well, this is it. So then I was like, well, I should probably tell my wife. And luckily she worked in the same department, like at the same, um, in the same, you know, university and everything. So she was at her office was like one floor below me and she was like the only other person still at work. So I went down there and I was like, uh, you know, basically told her like, Hey, um, the nurse just called and, uh, it's, it's cancer. It's not, it's, it is cancer. And so, you know, she, she held it together really well. Like she was upset, but, uh, I mean, she's been like, she, the whole, through the whole thing, she's like a, a rock. Like she was so steady. So she held it together pretty well. And we're like, well, let's just go home and like sort it out, I guess, like find out more information, what we can. Right. So I go home and I remember the first person I, I had to call was that, so I was coaching minor hockey at the time and we had a, a tryout that night. So I had to call like the guy I was coaching with and be like, Hey man, yeah, I'm probably not going to make it tonight. Uh, <laughs> turns out I have cancer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And so he was like, uh, okay, yeah, uh, that's understandable. You can miss practice. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. so. laughs> we'll, we'll give you a boy. Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt bad because like, I didn't feel bad. Like I felt totally fine, right? But, uh, yeah. you know, I was like, well, I mean, I was a little like emotionally kind of, you know, rattled. But physically I was fine. So then, you know, we went home and then the next call was to my parents. I had to let my parents know. Um, and so I told them. But I remember early on it was really hard to even say that, like, even, like, say like oh yeah i have cancer like it, that just even saying that was difficult um and so yeah i told my parents and you know they were same like supportive and strong and everything like that so so that was basically it like we just kind of went about our, our night and you know did a bunch of reading on the internet tried to find out as much information as we could and like i guess the good and the bad thing is that we had access to all because of our jobs we had access to all like the primary research papers so we're not just reading you know, you're reading your, the popular websites and stuff, but you can actually dive in a little bit deeper into the into the literature. So we were we were doing all that the very first night, and then um, you know the next day, I just I was just like right back at work, just like nothing happened. So, and that was I think good for me because um, it was a distraction, yeah. like just be there and try to be in the normal routine. So like it just kind of gets your head off of it, so or head your mind off of it, so. Yeah, just, I mean, there was two days where I was at work and I was like uh, trying trying to do actual work because I think I, I found out on a Wednesday night and then it was Thursday, Friday, whatever, back at work. And I was trying to do work and I was just so distracted, kept going back, trying to find out as much information as I could. So I just decided like, fine, I'm just going to give myself these two days and do as much reading as I can uh, to sort this, to, to figure out what I can, what I can about this. Yeah. And then, uh, but after that, like after this weekend, I just need to kind of stop because I'm just going to drive myself crazy. Like I could spend, you know, hours and hours and hours doing this. And, uh, that just needs to be the end of it basically. So yeah, I just told myself you can have these two days. And then after that, like go take the weekend. And then after that, just that's it. Like enough of that basically. So, so was there, was there a period, I mean, you were 30 years old, a fit, a fit dude studying x phase you know what the last thing you're expecting is is a cancer diagnosis was there a point where you're like this can't this can't be real well when they first said okay like well maybe they're wrong right so like it's a small hospital in central illinois it is like a, a cancer center but it's not huge and this is this really really rare type of cancer that you know they probably had never seen before so like maybe they got the diagnosis wrong right so I did have that bit of hope, but I'm like, that's probably not, it's probably not right. But so, but they did, they were really good. Actually, this hospital was awesome. And, uh, they sent my pathology samples to 
uh, MD Anderson to get checked there. They also had another opinion. They sent it to Mayo to get checked there. Uh, and they also sent it to Wash U. So there was three separate hospitals and big, you know, cancer centers who looked at it. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> once they did that, like, yeah, that's what it is. you know what I mean? Chain, yeah. Yeah. So like there was no, you know, and you, you obviously have these things like, you know, uh, this isn't supposed to be happening. Like I'm only 30. I just got married like, you know, five months before this. Um, so yeah, you do kind of have those thoughts and you're like, but for me it was more like, you know, like I felt bad for my wife, right? Like she didn't sign up for this. Like, you know, she, this kid, like if I never, I never thought like after doing all the reading and stuff, I never thought that the, that initial cancer was going to kill me. But I did think that maybe, you know, later on, maybe, you know, not too far later on, something could happen. Like if it spreads and something like that. Right. Yeah. So you're, I'm, I mean, I was like really worried, like, um, more about her, you know, I felt bad for her and I felt bad for my parents and stuff. Right. Like you don't want your parents to have to you know, deal with that, but it's just like, it was just kind of like, what a waste. You know what I mean? Like if that does happen, like what a waste of like, you know, I'm healthy, I'm young. Like I had a lot of schooling and all this stuff. And just like, what a waste of like all those resources. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like to put it to one person to have it all, uh, so yeah, you do have, you, I had those thoughts anyways, but it, it's interesting hearing you speak cause, uh, I've experienced this with a lot of cancer patients, survivors and that the, you kind of take the diagnosis on the chin and a lot of the, the feelings around it are almost of, of not guilt, but feeling like a burden to your spouse and to your family members and, and being like, like you said, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve to have to watch me go through treatment and all this. And, and it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. And you kind of seem to have that same, same thoughts. Yeah. I mean, that was like, that's the only time I really almost broke down is when I was thinking about my parents and, uh, and like my wife, like what would happen, what would happen if, you know, like if I was not there anymore, like if something did happen. Right. And then, uh, and for them to deal with it, that's kind of what made me like the most upset. Uh, but you know, you, you just bury those, thoughts as quick as you can (laughs) (laughs) so what was your what was your kind of treatment regimen like and and how quickly after your diagnosis did you get started (laughs) it was pretty quick so there was uh it was funny because they took it took me about a week just over a week to get in to see the oncology docs but it was funny because i was scheduled to give a talk to the oncology docs so i got diagnosed on a wednesday uh, the next Friday, I was scheduled to give a talk to them about some of my work and trying to set up these collaborations. Wow! So I'm in front of them presenting, presenting my work. At the time, I didn't mention it; it didn't come up. I just talked, kept it professional, talked about science and all that stuff. But in the back of my head, I was like, "Man, I'm doing this now, and these people are going to see me." And like, and my appointment was like the next Tuesday, so like a few days after my talk. And they're going to be like, so I'm like, oh, so it was, it was a weird like yeah. experience, right? So I'm talking to them about this and doing all this stuff. And then, uh, yeah, two days later, they're like, weren't you the guy? Weren't you just here giving a talk? <laughs> yeah, like that was me, blah, 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 and all that stuff. So I would say within a month, I had a real surgery because they had done that kind of in the field. They call it like an oops surgery. Like, apparently, it's fairly common where they don't think it's anything. And so they just do kind of like a, a biopsy take it out basically uh, then they find out it is something so they have to go back in and do like a wider uh resection resection but even then like i was really lucky so you read online and they're like the old treatment used to be basically cut off the limb yeah, yeah. uh which thank god i didn't have to do but then the next treatment is wide uh local resection and you're like well how wide is wide right like how much of my leg are they taking off so I was really lucky in that like a lot of people lose a whole bunch of muscle and a big chunk of their leg. I just lost um, a bunch of fat in between my thighs basically. And I'm like, you know, for me, like I'm only probably like 10, 15% body, you know, you have it in between your legs there. And it's like, so they, they pull that out and uh, luckily it, it hadn't gone through the muscle fascia yet. So um, they didn't have to take out any muscle. So that, so that was really good. So I still have all my muscle intact. They had to take out a bunch of skin. And so like, 
uh, I do have a huge scar. It's like a, you know, 17, 20 centimeter kind of scar, but it's, I barely, I don't even see it because of where it is basically. Uh, so yeah, they do take it a big chunk, but then I was lucky too, that they didn't have, there wasn't too much fluid buildup. So they didn't have to put in any drains or anything like that. Like the surgeon was awesome. He did, uh, Dr. Ray and at Carl hospital in Illinois, he was fantastic and he, um, did a great job. So the surgery was, was pretty good. I had that, um, yeah, about a month after I was diagnosed. So it was pretty quick. And then <clears throat> after that, it was the results were all great so like what they try to get is one inch margins around the the area and that should be clear of any you know uh tumor and they were able to get that like even more than one inch all the way around because there was so much room like they could just take stuff out without really affecting yeah. anything so that was really good so then the discussion moved to should we do radiation or should we do radiation and chemo like what should we do basically and um it's a tough it's a tough decision because uh, the doctors, like you go to the cancer clinic and like everyone there is like 40 years older than me. Like they're all in their sixties or seventies and they're all like, and all the treatments that we have are kind of like for geared towards those people. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. they don't really think much about like someone who's going to live hopefully a long time after, after this and what these treatments are going to mean for them. So, you know, and, and the oncology docs, their goal is to treat the cancer and get rid of it and that's it. Right. So you know, you're, you're reading, you're trying to make this decision. And the trouble with my type of cancer is that there's no, like, there's no real good guidelines. Like, I mean, this sounds kind of weird, but the whole time I was like, man, I wish I had breast cancer. I wish I had prostate cancer. You know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like, they're so common and they're treated so often. There's guidelines. We know exactly what to do. But with mine, it's like, a, it was a super gray area. Like, they're like, you can do radiation, but that doesn't improve long-term survival it only improves like it'll basically take your chances of a local recurrence to to almost zero right but it's not going to improve survival so i'm like well this is good and they're like you could maybe do chemo you could maybe not but some of the characteristics of your 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 tumor would suggest no but some of those characteristics would suggest yes and mine was considered a high grade because because of the pathology re results and stuff so I go back and like I have access to all these research articles and there's not that many, but I'm reading all of them and trying to like sort out like what I should do. Right. Cause the doctors like there's guidelines for like sarcoma, but my type of sarcoma is like the opposite of the normal sarcomas, like in how it behaves, like where it metastasizes to how it's responsive to different treatments. And so like, it's so hard to really decide, you know, what to do. So we had a lot of uh, discussions what we ended up deciding is to go with the radiation and to pass on the chemo. And that was with my doctor, uh, at, at Carl in, in Urbana at the hospital in Champaign-Urbana. He was really great, uh, Dr. Sapiente, but he also sent me to Wash U to get a second opinion. And all the docs there said, you don't need chemo or they didn't recommend getting chemo at the time, just the radiation. So I was really happy. Like I was pretty scared of, of, uh, of chemo, but, yeah. uh, so I'm glad I definitely dodged dodged that bullet. So that was that was good. And then, so the radiation started um, in January. So about three months after my surgery. So give me time to heal and do the planning and stuff. So yeah, it started in uh, started in January. Your was it? A, it was a daily dose. Um, how was your schedule? How long was it? And what was your what was your kind of schedule? Yeah, so it actually worked out really good. It was it was a daily dose, and it was um, it was like just under two gray a day, so like standard dose basically. But it, it worked out well because the hospital uh, was like five minute drive from my work, so basically I was able to schedule all the treatments like around lunchtime, so I could nice. jump out, go get treatment, and then come back. And so like the only person I told at work was really like my department head because. Like if I needed to miss time or do whatever, like I, I figured he should know. So I was able to like go through all of it without anybody, like any of my coworkers, any of my students, my grad students, like they, nobody knew. So even when I had the surgery, I was only off for, I was only off for like two days because it was so, uh, cause it just, it wasn't that bad. Like of where, where it was, um, like I was, I recovered pretty quick. So it was, uh, it was okay. But 
so yeah so the radiation was basically yeah every day five days five days a week uh it didn't take very long i just jump over to the hospital come back and it lasted for um trying to remember now i was supposed to last for like six and a half weeks but like i was pretty stubborn uh throughout (laughs) it so like all throughout it like i was doing uh i was like lifting weights and running i was trying to work out like five days a week basically i didn't want to change any of like my normal like schedule or routine at all right so i was doing i was doing the normal the normal stuff and i was like you know pretty happy with myself like i was still like seeing improvements and stuff getting stronger whatever and i was like well this is good like but then uh, I think I, I like I overdid it a bit because I was doing like uh, I couldn't bike because sitting down was a problem. So um, I was running, but the running was a problem because there was like a little bit of like friction, I guess, sure. between the legs. So that plus the radiation uh, caused like a pretty bad uh, skin response. So they actually had to stop the. Uh... Oh, I was playing hockey too the whole time too. So there's all this. <laughs> It was, it was, I was super lucky because it was just like normal, right? Like it was just business as usual. And then, um, but then they had to stop the treatments for a couple of weeks because it was, it was a pretty bad, like I had pretty bad uh, radiation burns, uh, like on the skin where, where it was getting treated. Like they were like open. So they had to, you had to do like um, disinfectants and all this stuff. Or yeah. So I didn't get infected and stuff. So yeah, it, there was a two week delay, let the skin heal up a bit. So it ended up being almost, in total like eight weeks i think of uh of treatment so what was that like coming back from lunch you haven't been radiated and your colleagues are after going to chipotle and saying how was your lunch and you're kind of trying to play it off and and you know act as normal was it was it tough to go through that in terms of just trying to kind of keep it under wraps uh not really because uh we had some collaborators at the hospital, so I just would say, like, oh, I had a meeting at the hospital. Like, <laughs> You must be getting a lot of work done. You're having daily meetings. Can't wait to, <laughs> yeah. see, can't wait to see these results. There was, it wasn't, like, it's not like our floor was super busy. Like, nobody really asked very much. Like, that didn't happen uh, very much. So, um, but it was really, like, the, the hospital was really flexible in that, like, if I did have something during my normal time, like, a, like either a department meeting or some, some like, kind of research meeting, they were able to reschedule the radiation like either earlier in the day or later in the day. So that was, that was, they were super flexible that way. So I didn't have to really miss like anything at work, you know, that was noticeable. Um, so yeah, it was easy. It was easy to kind of go over like, yeah, yeah, just me. I'm here for a meeting. So aside from the kind of really, uh, pronounced skin irritation from a combination of your activity and the radiation, was there day to day that kind of feeling of burning or any sort of, you come back do you feel itchy is there anything that you were kind of feeling day to day with it no that like the day to day it was it was honestly just um uh, after a few weeks when the i mean it doesn't take long for for the skin to get affected it's pretty sensitive and um and because mine was it was kind of close to the skin it wasn't very deep so the the dose was more concentrated closer to the skin so um it didn't take very long for that to get affected. So that was pretty, pretty painful. Um, like it wasn't unbearable, but sitting was a problem. Like it, for, especially when the skin reaction happened. So skin sitting was, uh, was a bit of a, was a bit of a trouble. Like it was a bit troublesome there, like from about four weeks on or so I would say. But, um, the good thing was that at work, like it was really easy to adapt to have a standing desk. So I just had I would stand up and work most days, um, but yeah, anything that I had to do where I was like sitting down wasn't very fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in in typical male fashion, you just kind of took this on the chin and said, "I'm going to keep doing all my activity and be be extra stubborn and kind of go. I'm not letting this get in the way." Um, what was the mentality there? Was it kind of looking for a sense of control, not to let this affect you and if you were to look back, knowing what you went through, especially with the skin ir- irritation, would you have changed how you approached it? Well, so there was two things. So during my PhD, I did a bit of work on radiation, like exercise around radiation, right? And uh, some of our work showed that if you exercise uh, just before or closely close to a radiation bout, you're actually, I mean, exercise is causing proliferation of a bunch of different cell populations, and that's sensitizing them to the radiation dose. 
So I tried to set up my exercise so that it wasn't like in the morning before the radiation. I tried to give it like a decent amount of time. So I would do it at night and have radiation the next afternoon kind of thing, right? So I tried to do as much time as I could, but I mean, I would say the studies are not even close to really knowing like exactly what the best timing is in respect to your treatment. So like that was a kind of a shot in the dark, but it was more, it was more like I wanted to try to maintain uh, muscle mass. I wanted to try to see if I could maintain strength throughout it. And that was, that was happening. And then, um, but mostly it was just like stubborn. It was just like, no, this is not gonna, like, I'm, I'm here. I'm fine. Like in the grand, like, obviously I was unlucky to be diagnosed with cancer, but in the grand scheme of cancer diagnoses, I was pretty lucky in terms of where it was. And we found it very, like it was, we found it fairly early and all this stuff. And so I'm just like, no, like, I'm not going to use this as an excuse to like, uh, deviate from like my normal normal stuff um i was just like screw this like so yeah i just was like no <laughs> just doing it like i felt like if i did it in some ways it would win and i was just like no it's not gonna win like like it I might lose the the battle in the end or like the, you know long term it might win but in the short term it's not gonna win like i'm gonna do everything i can to like you know not let it win but uh so that was the mentality what i forget the second part of your question if oh, you, how I would have changed it? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have run. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't bike and I couldn't, uh, so that's why I did uh, run on a treadmill, but I, I wouldn't have done that. I would have tried to do some other kind of like cardio, uh, you know, I don't know, something else, but I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have run. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could have maybe adapted that, that a bit. Yeah. So coming towards the end of radiation, then once you've finished, what was the what was the next course of action? You kind of meet with your oncologist to get a follow up and and get the all clear, I suppose. Or yeah, so the uh, so it's really funny. So when you're done radiation, they kind of go through and they do this uh, on your last treatment. You get like a uh, they give you like all these like presents and stuff. They give you like a card and like there's this bell that you have to ring to like signify like that you're done. But I was just like no. <laughs> like, this is, I'm like no like this is not like I just walked out basically I said thank you and I walked out like it, it wasn't to me it was not like an accomplishment right like in my head I was like this is just something I do every day I'm coming here and it's done it's done and I'm done with it like I'm not I didn't celebrate it I was just like no and then a pretty short after that you have like an initial checkup um, and so you know for me, they do CT and MRI is basically my, my follow-up plan. And so right after the treatment, they just wanted to check to make sure that there was no, like the disease hadn't come back uh, or hadn't spread anywhere. And so they did that. And I was like, I wasn't really worried because like during treatment, you're, you're like, man, if this comes back or if this spreads during treatment, then this thing is like out of control, right? So like I, I was but I actually wasn't too worried during treatment that anything was going to like I was gonna get bad news so right after I was like this this appointment is gonna be fine and it was like the first appointment was fine but um, but then because it was a high-grade uh, tumor they needed to check me every three months so I would go for a CT scan and an MRI every three months for the first two years after uh, my treatment and it's funny like so before uh, before I started radiation, my uh, my wife actually got pregnant because we weren't too sure about um, how it would all work after the therapy, just because of where where it was. So, uh, so yeah, during the radiation therapy, my wife was pregnant the whole time, and uh, my very first checkup, I guess, after the treatment, uh, my son was born like two days before. I brought him home from the hospital. I dropped him off, turned around and went back to get the results of my very first like checkup. Yeah. So it was like, I was like super scared. I was, that was like the most nervous I've ever been. Right. And I'm like, I just brought my son home and like, uh, I, this would be really, really bad timing if <laughs> I heard yeah. that it was accurate and spread. But, um, luckily, you know, that first checkup was good. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and they've all been good since then, you know, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, so now after the first two years, they, they bumped it back to every six months. And I'm still on every six months because I'm about four years out. And then I think as long as this next one is good, they might drop it back to every year. Um, so yeah, so hopefully, you know, that's that's 
that's good brilliant old man and yes it's great um so one of the things that fascinates me about you and when we got connected i was kind of thinking about this and in you've kind of been fairly upfront with me and your apprehension initially to talk about it and uh, i think one of the most I suppose overlooked parts or, or things that isn't talked about is the kind of psychological effect and, and that the diagnosis and the treatment and the uncertainty can take you to some dark times. Um, so can, can you kind of maybe touch on why you were apprehensive initially to talk about it, why you're more open now, um, and then maybe it, if you feel comfortable talking about how and why it took you to those dark places? Yeah, so, um, so initially I didn't want to talk about it. I was in my... I was in my first year as a prof at Illinois, so first year as assistant professor, starting the lab, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell my colleagues, partially because I didn't want to have like, I don't want to be known as like a cancer survivor. I just want to be a person, just like everybody else. Like I don't want to have that all around me. Like, and so I didn't like at the time, especially I didn't want. I don't know, like I was, I didn't know how people would react. Like, would they give me pity? Would they, would they feel bad for me? Would they give me a break, you know, here or there? Like, I didn't want any of that. So I didn't want to talk about, I didn't want to, that's why I didn't really want to tell anybody originally. And then I guess also too, like, I just didn't want to talk about it. Um, I felt like the more people that knew, the more people would ask me like, how's it going? Like, what's going on? Like, how are you feeling? Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, like, I don't want to talk about it. Like I wanted to be as distracted as I could from it uh to help me prevent like to prevent me from going down those you know that rabbit hole like over and over again you know um so yeah but now you know the reason i kind of want to i feel like now is a better time to talk about it is because you know going through it there's so much that you don't know and there's so much that like people can't tell you right like so <laughs> like going through the radiation like i don't know what the long term what what are the effects of, of radiation like short term and long term right and you get these brochures but the brochures and the stuff you read is, is pretty general right or even if you read research studies you read like stuff that can happen but you don't you don't really know like what how does that affect the day-to-day -day life and all this kind of stuff right um and so that was the the main i guess uh, source of stress for me during treatment was like I don't know how this is going to affect me right or what what this is going to feel like so so the thing that helped me the most was like reading other people's like so there's a bunch of blogs um, there's one in particular this guy uh, Dave Novak who had the same type of cancer as me who like you follow his blog I followed his blog all throughout uh, my my treatments and stuff and then uh, he was like a few years ahead of me so you could see like this is what i could expect like a few years down the road and stuff so hearing all that stuff is was like super reassuring for me like knowing that okay like this is where this guy is first of all like okay the guy was still alive which was which was good <laughs> i mean you know like he, he's still doing blogs it's positive yeah that's a plus and then um you know he's talking about like his daily life and like all this kind of stuff and you know I realized like you just kind of learn to adapt, right? And you just learn to deal with, with stuff and it's not, you know, so, so that really helps. So I feel like if I can say more about what I went through now, then uh, maybe other people who are in my situation, you know, like it, it could help them too maybe. So that's kind of why I, I feel like, uh, you know, I want to talk about it more now. Especially uh, with the, the more rare forms of cancer. Uh, as you said, if you get breast or prostate, there's a lot of support groups. You can find places in your community that you can talk to people. But if you get CLL or mixed oil, I mean, how many people have that? And so, to, like you said, to when you find something so rare and you can get these little pockets of information and personal experiences, I know it's huge. Yeah. So when you're talking about kind of reading this and, and you're not certain of how it's going to play off on you, was there anything that was really surprising that you didn't expect in terms of the treatment, the side effects, whatever it is that you were like... I read about this, but I didn't know it was going to affect me this much. Uh, so, like, the only thing I get now is, like, I get some really bad spasms, like, in, in the muscles that were hit by the radiation. But it's intermittent. Like, it's not, uh, it's not all the time. It just kind of happens, like, I can't even predict when it's going to happen. It happens for a few seconds and then goes away. So, like, it hurts, but it's not a big, like, it's, it's not a big deal. Like, it doesn't affect my day-to-day. -day. But other than that, like, I, I've been, like I said, I've been really lucky, like, um yeah i mean in terms of like long long-term effects like i mean who knows 
what the radiation is going to do, right? Like, like I know because this is part of what I study, um, but like, you know, secondary cancers because of radiation don't happen for like 10 to 20 years later, right? So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in five, 10 more years, right? Um, but I guess that's, you know, that's the gamble you got to take, right? Like, so, but other than that, I mean, it's, I, I like, I really don't even see the scar because of where it is and like all the damage and stuff. So like, it's, I don't have a daily reminder in my face all the time. Like, this is what I went through. So I really just kind of, um, I don't really think about it very much. Like, you know, life kind of takes over, right. You know, and you come back to your, you know, your normal stuff and now you have a son and like, and, and work. And so all that stuff occupies your mind more than this other stuff that almost answered my next question in that you talked about secondary cancers down the line and having this annual checkup or every six months is it in the back of your mind and you kind of said it, it's not really a prominent thought anymore it's just kind of every so often it's just something you got to do I, I would say it's not something i dwell on but it's something that when i make decisions it, it's there so uh like it i definitely consider it right because um first of all getting the checkups is super nerve wracking. So basically you, you get a scan and then they have <clears throat> three days up to a week until you get the results of that scan. And so, uh, you're basically waiting. And, and from what I've read online is like, if this thing spreads, the chances of survival are like 10%. So like, basically it's all like, you know, I'm yeah. a, I'm a goner basically if it, if it happens, like, so you're trying to like, so those are, those are pretty nerve wracking days. And so I actually was like, you asked my doctor, I'm like, well, what's the point of these scans? Like if it's spread, even if we catch it early, I mean, all you're going to do is delay. Like you're not like, if it's already spread, it's going to be hard to get all of it anyways. So you're just going to delay things. And so what's the point of going through the stress of like getting a check, but you know, the doctors, they are getting these regular checkups, but they really want to do it um because they have this hope right if they check it early then i guess it, it makes sense because even if they delay it like a year yeah like i would take that you know what i mean like so that's yeah. that's fine uh th and that makes sense to me but definitely those thoughts come in and you're like um yeah what's kind of the point of this and and even if you have like a clear scan like my i'm like super pessimistic pessimistic but my first thought is always <laughs> like oh yeah great i'm one step closer to that like non-clear scan basically which is you know that's not a very good thought to have i guess but it comes in <laughs> but it does like it does oh, it was clear this time it. just wait till next time <laughs> yeah, yeah oh great i'm just one closer but but um the nerve like the nerves part it gets easier and easier as time goes on um so you just learn to deal with it i guess i just learned to deal with it better like the first few like it's really it was really really hard and then um but as as time goes on it becomes less and less hard and you just kind of the only way it's 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 gotten easier for me is I just kind of accept it. Like, you know, there's there's and this is kind of like how I kind of went through this. I always just tell myself like, everything just is, like nothing is good or bad. It just is, and then good or bad is a label that like I put on it, right? So like, if it does come back and it's or you know if it does come back and one of the scans is 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 not a good result, then it's just like, okay then now we deal with this right and like there's nothing i do i mean i can try to live as healthy as, as possible but at the end of the day like some of these things are outside of your control right yeah so i'm just like well there's no sense worrying about it i'm gonna do everything i can and like uh you know uh if it happens then 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 we deal with it but it does affect like um things in terms of like this decision decision makings like i mean you know, like I see my son and like he's three now. So, you know, I, I worry about like him kind of growing up, you know, like if something were to happen to me soon. So, you know, I, I hope that it, I hope that it doesn't, uh, and I can at least see him through, you know, a good, a good chunk of his life. Like, you know, I think that's important to be around for him and make sure he, he grows up, you know, with a dad and obviously I want to see him grow up too. So like, um, so yeah, like those, those kind of decisions and, you know, you know, like long-term life decisions, you're always kind of considering, especially when I make them with my, my, what, like, you know, an example is like we buy a house, right. And the, and the mortgage, like how, how long of a mortgage should we get? Like, I don't want to like, and how much, 
like, can we still cover this if I'm not here? And like all that, like long-term planning that I don't know that most people my age would think about, but I always, it comes up in those times. It's like, okay, well, if I'm not around, will everybody be taken care of? And like, will it be okay? You know what I mean? And so those things do come up in your head. Uh, but you know, I think that's fine. You just you plan for them and then, and then you kind of make it, you kind of make it work basically. Is it almost making you more focused in that regard in that, you know, coinciding with the, the bird of your son, you almost have that. You're a lot more laser in, in your focus. Yeah. So definitely a lot of people say like, you know, I talk to some people and they have, uh, they do this, they get this cancer diagnosis and they find that like now they're way more, they're more laid back and they like enjoy life more and they do all that stuff. But for me, it's almost had the opposite effect. Like I wasn't a very laid back kind of person to begin with, but now I'm, I'm way more impatient than I ever was because I'm just like, I don't actually know. Right. Like, you know, you know, I, so I want to get stuff. I want to like, there's things in my career and in life that I just want to accomplish, but I want to get it done because who knows like how long, uh, I mean, it's true for anybody though. It's not just true for me. Who knows how long any of us are going to be around. Right. Like, I always think like we're all, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all dying. Some of us are just doing it faster than others, basically, right? Like, you know, like, I mean, again, maybe that's a pessimistic way of thinking about it, but it just makes me like, oh, I'm not special, right? Like, I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, getting there a little bit faster than everybody else, but that makes me like way more impatient and way more like focused to try to accomplish the things that I really want to accomplish. Um, So I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but. At the same time, it's made me worry less about like little things and stuff like stuff outside of my control. So like I don't get so wrapped up about things that I just like, you know, that, that it doesn't affect me and there's nothing I can do about it. So I just, you know, kind of don't worry about it as much as I maybe, you know, used to before before this happened. So, well, I mean, all things considered, it seems like you're in a good spot and family's happy and healthy so it, it's great to hear and I, I really do i wish you all the best with with all of it um but let's kind of change track now and talk a little bit about your research because i think it it's really unique in that like <laughs> like you said with your presentation you're you're a cancer researcher and uh so let's talk about some of the cool stuff you got going on and how it ties in and applies yeah yeah so uh during my phd we did some studies that looked at um exercise uh preconditioning prior to uh bone marrow transplants so, you know, they've done a lot of studies looking at uh, different factors uh, as far as the donor and the and the recipients in a bone marrow transplant, like age and all this other stuff and how that affects survival and outcomes. But not many people have looked at exercise and the studies that have looked at exercise have focused more on like quality of life and strength and, and fitness and, and not many have looked at actual um, blood reconstitution and blood regeneration after the transplant. And so in my, in my PhD, we did a couple of studies where uh, they were all preclinical mouse studies where we exercised uh, donors in a bone marrow transplant, mouse donors prior to a transplant. And then we also exercised recipients prior to a transplant to see if, you know, either exercising the donors would kind of expand blood forming stem cells, improve their function and help regeneration in the recipients, or if exercising the recipients would improve kind of the environment that the donated stem cells go into. And if you can kind of protect the environment from the preconditioning and improve it, you can enhance blood uh, regeneration after the transplant, right? And so the studies that we did, um, well, we saw that like if you exercise the the donors, then you do get an expansion, a small expansion in the stem cells. But when you inject them, uh, they don't form blood any better than than you know uh, a sedentary say donor would. But if you exercise the recipients before the transplant, then you do see improvements in survival. And you, we did see improvements in blood regeneration. Like it was happening, it was accelerated basically. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was a preclinical study. So, you know, we need to take it with a grain of salt, right? But yeah, it was super, um, it was super exciting. So then work in my lab is kind of trying to follow this up a bit more to see if, if we can like to tease out how exercise is actually improving the environment that these blood forming stem cells are in. Uh, to make regeneration faster, blood regeneration faster after a transplant, but not only after a transplant, even after like say chemo or radiation for a different type of of cancer. Um, so that's kind of where you know the, the research has been uh, focused on right right now, anyways. Yeah. 
So are you are you planning on moving into any human trials and, and kind of seeing how this affects you? You're still kind of in the preclinical phase. Yeah, so um, we've, we've done a, a couple of human trials, but so part of the things, the one thing about exercise is that a, a single acute exercise bout causes blood stem cells to move from the bone marrow into the blood. Um, and so right now when you do a transplant, the main source of, of uh, uh, donor stem cells is mobilized peripheral blood. So they'll treat the donors with uh, some drugs that take stem cells from the marrow, put it into blood, and then you can just collect blood, take the stem cells out, and then inject those cells. And that's basically where most of the, the cell, the donor grafts come from now. So we've been doing some studies seeing in humans to see how, like what the best time course is or how, what the time course is from after or during and after exercise um, in terms of how exercise can mobilize these different stem cell populations. And also what's the best type or what, how different types of exercise can, can move stem cells into the blood. And hopefully eventually we'll move into more, you know, clinical populations or donor populations where we're actually taking donors and having them exercise during uh, stem cell collection to hopefully increase yields of stem cells and shorten the amount of time that it takes for them to be on um, uh, like the collection kind of protocol basically. So, so that's something that, that we're hoping to kind of, to kind of move into. It's really cool. And, and what fascinates me the most, can you hit the nail on the head and in thinking about exercise as medicine, we, we look at physical function and, and body composition and strength, but to, to actually use it as a medicine to cause these type of changes and actually use it to complement treatment is really fascinating. I think that's where we're going to make a lot of growth in this area and kind of I don't want to say gain more credibility, but definitely strengthen the case for its use in clinical settings. Yeah, like when I when I speak to physicians and stuff and, and try to get them on board for, for collaborations, you know, they're definitely interested in the in the quality of life and strength and fitness and all that kind of outcomes, but they're so focused on curing the cancer and treating the cancer. And so anything that's doesn't help them do that, it's nice, but it's not it doesn't get them really interested, right? Yeah. So if I can try to show them that like, hey, you know, like, and there was just a, a human study that was just done in, in Germany that showed that exercising uh, recipients prior to a bone marrow transplant uh, decreased uh, uh, relapse related mortality and total mortality, right? And if you can, and when I show physicians those data and I'm like, hey, like, here's an actual outcome that matters, like, they get excited about that. Or if I show them like, hey, when we do our mouse studies, we can make blood the white blood cell count increase earlier and faster than if we don't exercise before, right? Those are important clinical outcomes to them and, and they get really excited about, about that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, that if we can bring it into that area, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, just keep going further and further with the exercise oncology area field, you know? So you've obviously, you've been in this field for a little bit and you've been regularly contacting and, and working with physicians and oncologists have you have you seen the attitude change across time have you seen them be more amenable to this idea are you still facing some resistance and how has that looked over the course of your years in the field uh, yeah it's it's tough because there's there's a bunch of different factors at, at play so like i mean the one thing is i've been speaking to different groups of physicians right so different areas different um like different cities right i've also I've also learned a lot about how to deliver the message in a way that they care about, right? So part of it is is me like selling, I guess, and saying this is why you should care about this and getting them excited about it. Um, and the better I get at doing that, the more interest I get from them, right? So, you know, I would say part of it is, is kind of on them because they, they think exercise and they're like, oh, you know, that's great. Or, you know, initially they're like, well, our patients can't exercise, right? So the, the barriers you get are like, oh, they're too sick. They can't exercise. This will never work, you know. Uh, we could never have this. Put this in our in our clinic, right? So the first hurdle I had to learn is like actually show them what we mean by exercise, right? Because they think, well, you know, like these physicians, most of them, the ones I, I was talking to, you know, a few weeks ago, they're really fit. They they are active, right? They, they, they just like some of them went on like a, you know, a five k bike ride over the weekend. They think that that is exercise, right? But when you explain to them, like, some of these studies just use like you know, elastic bands in bed, right? Or just walking, you know, regular walks around the uh, the hospital floor, like pedals or arm cranks, like while the patients are in bed, right? And you show them actual data and you're like, look, 
this is the adherence to the programs, right? These types of programs, when they're implemented, people actually do it and they can do it, right? So, you know, you got to get over that that hurdle, right? And then once you can kind of get over that and say like, you know, we can do it in your facility. We don't need, we need minimal equipment and all this stuff and it, we can still see some benefits. Then the next step I find that, you know, that helps me when I, when I talk to them is, is like I said before, like showing them actual clinically relevant outcomes, like that they really care about. Like, so survival improvements, you know, blood engraftment improvements, like stuff like that. And if you can get them excited about those things that they care about, you know, it's fine to show, or it's good to show strength, quality of life, fitness, all that stuff. But if you can show them that other stuff, now they're getting more and more excited. And now they're trying to figure out ways like, okay, how could we actually do this in our hospital with our patients, right? That's the, for me, that's been the key, like figuring how, figuring that out and getting over that hurdle and then, you know, getting to that. That's, it's such a great point. And I'm, I'm glad you outlined it the way you did, because there's a lot of researchers and physicians or researchers and clinicians that listen to this and understanding how you deliver the message is, is critical to how it's going to be received and as you said you don't have to con- convince an exercise physiologist that exercise is going to be beneficial for these different populations but someone without the training you know if I went and said I want to do an undulating periodized program they're going, you know hold on a minute you know as you said we can make the exercise fit them it's about showing the overwhelming safety of it then efficacy and then showing how it's going to minimize their burden as well in terms of their staff who's going to deliver it and and uh, i really like how you outlaid that so i think that's such a huge message to people listening to this and in figuring out not only just to clinicians your message is going to be different to academic people to survivors and patients to nurses to to physicians and and i think really understanding the power of that is going to be huge um so listen, Mike, I won't take any more, more of your time. I think it's been a fascinating insight and uh, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I think, you know, particularly, funny enough, it was mental, World Mental Health Day yesterday and, and there's a lot of, of stigma around mental health and, and we have to be big, strave, brave, strong men and, and just kind of bottle it all up. So I, I appreciate your insight and with, with your type of cancer and how rare it is, I know a lot of people are going to get value out of this. So I, I do want to, uh, let you know how much I appreciate that. So, any kind of uh, any kind of final words on of advice for any cancer patient survivors who are listening to this, about to go through treatment, going through treatment, maybe kind of coming out the other end, and and what you've learned so far. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll just put it all on you. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I would say like I think the biggest thing is is don't. It's really easy to just be the victim and be why me. But try not to go down that road. And it's understandable why people do that. Um, try not to do that. You know, you, you do have, you know, within your, do everything you can within your own control to, to make your situation the best. And, it, you know, a lot of times it starts like in your head and just deciding like, hey, this is how I'm going to approach this. And I'm not going to let it like, I'm, I'm just not going to let it affect me. Um, and, and, you know, I I feel bad because I was so lucky with, you know, how good my, my treatment went and how, you know, I, the side effects weren't weren't you know I was able to do everything I wanted to do during the during the treatment and, and stuff like that so I know like my situation doesn't apply to to everybody but I would say really just try to you know just decide like this is how I'm going to approach this I'm not going to be the victim I'm going to make the best of it because you know at the end of the day everybody is really dealing with everybody's dealing with something and you don't know it right like you don't know what what people are going through I mean there's lots of people with long term chronic conditions who are dealing with stuff on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, don't underestimate your, your strength as like just adapting to, this is what my new kind of normal is and I'm going to be okay with it. And this is, I'm just going to go with it. And like, yeah, just, just, you know, if you come with that mentality for me anyways, that, that really helped me, you know, get, get through everything and just accepting things and saying, you know, this is how we're gonna this is how it is and i'm just gonna deal with it and just keep going basically i mean it's pretty not so inspirational i mean it was powerful words for me to hear um so listen you you've got a great story and and i wish you and your family all the best and and obviously i look forward to keeping up with each other and all the the, the cool stuff that's going to come out of your lab and uh, just thanks for taking the time and, and chatting to us 
Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on, and thanks for you know all you're doing your with your podcast and, and your also your work and stuff. I mean, it's great getting the message out to, to everybody. So yeah, thanks a lot for, for that too.